0: Welcome to CruxCast, whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We got up earlier today with Joe Katerovac. He's the CEO of Cobalt Blue Holdings. Now we do something different today. He actually uh, takes us on site, gives us a run through their pilot plant up at Broken Hill. Truly really fascinating. We also managed to get uh, a conversation in about the macro environment for Cobalt and where that's going and how these guys uh, fit in, their plans for the pilot plant and beyond, and how they're going to fund it. Uh, really interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd also like to uh, go and check out our uh, private investment platform, Cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You'll be able to meet other like-minded investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe, friendly environment, free from judgment, trolling, and abuse. We've also got training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and other commodities, including our weekly uranium shows, nickel shows, etc. Um, so do go along and join them there at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you?
1: Good Good afternoon, Matt. Good to be here. Hi, Matt. Good to see you.
0: Good to meet you, Adam. Good to meet you. What, what a, what a spick and span pilot plant we have there. Um, so this is, this is the facility where you're going to be doing all the hard work in the next 12 months or so, is it?
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. So we're uh, launching into operations. We've um, successfully commissioned the plant uh, over the next 12 months, we'll be generating some commercial samples and and work to optimise the process.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, like we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more detail about that one. But first, um, just want to talk to you, Joe. Um, there's obviously been a few uh, events recently, Votsburg, and obviously I think the one that sort of sticks out in the in the memory most. Um, just want to talk about market conditions. So. We talked in the past about the, the macro thematic, but just to, for people who perhaps not, you know, been following this story closely, um, cobalts had a bit of a sort of up and down ride over the last five six years. So you, why should people be looking at the cobalt space now?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an understatement, Matt. The cobalt price has been a, a white knuckle roller coaster ride in the last few years. Look. Um, I think the, the cycle that we saw in 2018 was a preemptive cycle, preemptive in the sense of that there is a battery uh, demand phenomenon coming, but it wasn't quite there at the time. What we're seeing today, and in the last 12 months in particular, post the, the COVID lows, has been a reassertion of pricing back to its 30 year normal, so back to around the $25 a pound level. What we're about to see, and I think that's in the next 18 or so months, is a much tighter market. As this market, which I think has come upgrade on demand, starts to bear its teeth. Um, you touched on VW earlier. Uh, VW is one of many data points we're seeing where large scale OEMs in the EV space are pinning their ears back on production, on standardisation of production, and on creating a supply chain to feed that production. And as they do that, each one of those stepping stones means that the market's come upgrade. For example, um, Prior to the VW day, I think consensus was broadly a 15 to 17%. EV rollout by 25%. The numbers we're seeing now are 25%. By end of the decade, that'll be 50%. There's, that's a huge upgrade based on even 6 or 12 months ago. And I think that's, that bodes very well for the cobalt market.
0: Well, well, let me let me talk to you about pricing because as retail, retail versus even family offices, we find it hard to actually understand what is happening with the co- cobalt price. Not not an easy price to get a get you put your finger on um, or gauge how it's going. Obviously, I think last twelve months, my sense is prices have improved. Um, but where should we be looking to try and understand what is happening, reprice, and therefore, I guess that the whole supply demand economic.
1: Yeah, look, it's a it's a solid question. It goes back to something you and I have discussed a while ago. Um, the LME is the publicly available, the easy benchmark for uh, cobalt metal pricing. Um, it does not represent the market. It does have some value as a trend indicator, but doesn't uh, represent the broader market. Just given that it's such few metal is held on inventory at any one time, cobalt remains a company to company market, and those pricing that pricing is largely opaque. Uh, the way around it is to use the metals bulletin or similar pricing, which is a phone around to uh, transactions that occur within a certain specification, so volume and quantity. That is published daily, but unfortunately for most investors, that's that's um, subscriber-only data. So um, by all means, uh, get yourself a subscription, or um, you can wait for research to be pinned. Um, with respect to cobalt pricing last 12 months, it's gone from a floor of about $12 US a pound metal to double that today. So around $25 a pound.
0: So where does, where does that stand in terms of an average over the last 10, 20 years? Is, are we at the peak or we're we somewhere in the middle? I mean,
1: well, that's just bang on. That's it, that's bang on the 25 bucks US a pound is bang on the 30-year average. And if you bear in mind, most of that 30-year average didn't have any sort of battery demand in its profile whatsoever.
0: Right. Okay. So that's what we should be looking forward to. So let's, so let's come back to this Volkswagen um, day. I mean, what are the things that they were saying which encourage you as a cobalt producer and what has as you say, been a white knuckle ride co- uh, roller coaster um, of the past few years? What, what gives you encouragement that what you're going to be producing is what they need? And are they going to need it in the quantities which you want to be selling at?
1: Yeah, look, uh, two things give me encouragement. Firstly is the technology side. So both Tesla and VW mentioned a range of battery technologies, which are going to go into different phases of their passenger and commercial fleet. So at the low end, low range, if you like the cheap end, um, there will be non-cobalt batteries, this LFP formulation, um, typically uh, city commute style ranges. At the mass market end, There'll be two competing technologies, this high manganese battery, which to date is a a laboratory wish. um, And um, according to our internal sources, at least the back end of this decade before we get any commercialisation from. The other competing technology, which is here and now, is um, NCM nickel cobalt manganese or NCA nickel cobalt aluminium um, batteries. And they'll capture the vast majority of that uh, mass market passenger uh, vehicle. Um, The other thing is scale. Uh, Tesla is trying to uh, effectively own its own production chain upstream to the point of mining. Uh, VW have said, no, we want to control it, so we'll create an ecosystem through this unified cell um, uh, battery concept. What does that mean? It means they're going to build 240 gigawatt hours uh, of capacity in Europe, which is considering it's eight today. That's a massive scale up. They're going to do that within the next 10 years, and they've said to their suppliers, are you in or are you out? And If you're in, you've got to conform to that technology spec and this particular uh, prismatic specification. So All that means that they're controlling their upstream, creating an ecosystem that's friendly to them, reducing their economy or their cost through economy of scale. I think the world's headed to four, five, six of these different ecosystems. Uh, for example, GM and LG Chem have a, another battery variant called the Altium. And I think with those four or five or six ecosystems, that will be the future come the end of a decade. And all of those will be beholden to cobalt.
0: So, but again, I'm trying again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work out what the buyers are thinking at the moment. Obviously, we we, we talked to a lot of battery metal companies uh, around the world, and they're all telling us the big supply-demand deficit that 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 they're seeing. But what are you actually hearing? What's the anecdotal uh evidence which says these guys are keen to nail down supply for the next 5-10 years.
1: Okay, I'll give you 2. One is 2-months ago, um, the samples that uh, this facility and Adam and his crew are producing, we had about 10 or 12 partners who wanted product. Today that's 32 and growing. The sheer volume of demand on that sample tells us there's underlying commercial Uh, volume. So that tells me that there's a real demand for a new project, a greenfield project, particularly of ethical cobalt. The other one is direct conversations with key battery manufacturers. I I may have mentioned the last time around that one of the world's biggest EV uh, producers uh, in a conversation has revealed that they're now net short 23, 24 um, cobalt. So six months ago, uh, they had fulfilled their procurement requirements. Now, they're actually short because in the last six months, the EV makers have upgraded their procurement as well. So um, really what we're seeing is, I guess, on a 22-23 basis, we're starting to see some tightness. On a 24-25 basis, we're seeing some real market deficit based on those anecdotes.
0: But are we? We're seeing. We're also seeing a lot of long-term cobalt um, supply deals happening as well. You know, company to company stuff, right? So that's, that's what we're reading out there. So th- doesn't that affect what you're saying?
1: Well, that's you, you and I are, are on the same side of the coin. What you're seeing there is company to company procurement, which is effectively satisfying their requirements for long dated Cobalt. So traditionally the market, the annual market that exists, um, has looked out one year or so in terms of indications of, of quantity. These guys, which are in the public domain, the SKs, uh, the Samsungs, the BMWs of the world, and the Teslas are all looking at two, three, four, and in most cases, five year deals. I'd be surprised if the duration came in earlier because um, these guys need to produce EVs on a seven to eight year um, forecast. So I actually think that duration will go out.
0: Interesting. interesting. I mean, you, 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 you touched on something there, which is obviously, I think. What cobalt is most known for, which is this ethic, the need for ethical sourcing as well. You know, people. I think most people would connect cobalt with DRC. So, you know, the was you know largest producer, high grades, etc. Uh, but people are trying to move away from that. So people are moving into investing in mining and investing in cobalt. Those are one of the first things you'll probably discover. So. Obviously that helps that you're not sitting in with the DRC with, with your conversations with some of these metal buyers, with some of these OEMs, etc. But um, you know, is that a reality? Because we're going to need all the Cobalt supply, aren't we going forward? That's what, what you are saying to me, there's not enough of it.
1: Yeah, look, um, let me answer it two ways. One is the project we have here underpins an EV's production run of 5 million electric vehicles. So if you, uh, if you were to take all of the offtake from this project across the next 20 years, there's your first 5 million vehicles, which is an audacious number to start with. Ethical cobalt, high quality uh, cobalt. We are also seeing um, the first of NGO style action, in the DRC, where they're looking to create a, a cobalt fair style alliance, where we're looking to clean up some of the village and artisanal based uh, production. That's all about produce, all about working under uh, uh, sustainable conditions, not working underground under hazardous conditions, uh, getting a fair price for their cobalt. We're starting to see some of that happen. So I think you'll turn some of the non-ethical ultimately into sustainable cobalt. It's your, I guess it's a question mark, what really determines ethical cobalt. I think, as i said before, you need to appreciate these as people's livelihoods so i wish the people in the drc that artisanal uh, source the best of luck and they deserve to make a living from that cobalt so if it can be um, create, if it, you can create a more sustainable and ethical outcome i think that's a good thing uh, but those pressures are already there but none of that answers your core question is is there simply enough cobalt to go through and the answer today based on what we're seeing is there there won't be and therefore there will be a price rationalization going forward into the batteries
0: but this is why battery designers are trying to design cobalt out of batteries, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it started off being a twin argument of ethical and, and cost. Now it's largely on the cost side. Look, there is a race to thrift cobalt. There's no doubt today's chemistry, which is largely transitioning to a 622 NCM. So that's going to be the mainstream next 12 months, will be accelerated to an 81 maybe to a 9.5, a half, et cetera. And all roads, in my mind, lead to a a four to five percent cobalt content in the cathode over the next four to five years. That acceleration will help mitigate some of this supply risk. But even with all of that said, it's tough to see how that supply will be uh, brought to the market that will satisfy this scale of rollout.
0: I mean, so given that, are you seeing any changes in cobalt futures at the moment? Are people getting nervous about battery designs? Are people? Uh, cognizant of, you know, there'll be different use cases. So, you know, like you say, um, the, the, the supply probably won't be there necessarily for, uh, you know, uh, for, for all of these OEMs based on their predictions of what they're going to be needing.
1: Yeah. So interestingly enough, we are seeing now um, some long dated um, Cobalt Futures contracts being entered into on the long side by some Branded, let's call it branded battery and or ev makers and effectively they are long those contract these are cash settled um, because they're short the underlying so they want to physically hedge their exposure on the underlying so as you read about a long dated contract between glencore and x party uh, what you what you don't see is the underlying detail but what you can see through the futures market is how that counterparty then hedges that risk financially through the futures market and that's that's been a real phenomenon in the last 12 months.
0: Okay, so, so let's just, again, again, for people perhaps need of this, remind people what you've got there at Broken Hill. We'll talk about the, the pilot plant in a second, but outside of the DRC, um, not a lot of Cobalt um, You know, developers, what have you got there?
1: Look, as a project, we have a very large and long dated uh, Cobalt project, large being At three and a half to 4,000 tonne of metal equivalent, so that's about 17,000 tonne of this cobalt sulphate product, battery-ready product, that's a top five uh, global mine ex-Africa. That's a top 10 mine if you include Africa. It's a standout in terms of ethical uh, jurisdiction, and that chain of custody all the way to the battery maker is something we want to participate in. It's low cost, so we're uh, making, and Adam and the team here are looking to, to prove up a $10 cost or better at a US dollar per pound level for the MHP, and that'll put the project in the the bottom quartile on a cost basis. So very, very cost competitive. On a CapEx comparison, this uh, project is about one third to one quarter of any global peer because it's a pure cobalt focus. We're not making nickel, we're not making copper. We don't have all that capital cost associated with it. Or, I might add, the inefficiencies of trying to um, process polymetallic streams. So we've we've, we've got a bloody-minded focus on just the cobalt. We're very good at it. The plant you see here with Adam and the team running it is our attempt at a large scale and soon to be bigger scale to try and extract every last percentage point of cobalt and do that literally on a cost-comparative basis with any mine in the world.
0: Right. So... I want to come on to Adam actually because you know he's the guy's putting all that together. But just um, but before I do one last question, you talked about having sort of sixteen uh, companies wanting to test your product. That's now up to what did you say thirty uh, two?
1: Thirty two. The last time I looked at uh, my email, my inbox, but um, yeah, look, we're actually starting to run out of products. We have to make it uh, you know slice it up skinnier and skinnier for this introductory round. Yeah. You know.
0: Right. Okay. 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 But there's going to be there's going to be companies in there which are going to be larger, more well established, bigger balance sheet, be able to give you longer term contracts that you're going to be focused at. But I, I guess in this environment, there's going to be a lot of new battery uh, companies or intermediaries wanting to step in and take advantage of the situation. So you, I guess you've got some choices to make at the end of this. But um, these people are doing so actually Adam tell us what what have you built this plant to do what can
2: it do today all uh, right so this this plant is uh, primarily designed to uh, run the process the entire process has been modelled uh, at the lab scale and we've proven that it can work we've built this plant to uh, to run that process at a larger scale a more continuous scale uh, and the outcomes from that will be to um, optimize and prove up the uh, the robustness and the um, uh, the processing economics and efficiencies of that right, process.
0: Give me some numbers, Adam, I need to understand, you know, because people talk about the need to build pilot plants and then they kind of work out what the economics are and then they hopefully, you know, attract the right source of partners. So, you know, what are you capable of producing there? What, what is the process?
2: Uh, so in, in the lab, we've proven that we can, we can see up around 90 odd percent recovery of, of the cobalt. We hope to be able to model that on a more continuous basis in here. We've proven that we can make an intermediate product that's got about 28% of cobalt and 7% of nickel, uh, which is a very clean product. And uh, the cobalt sulfate that we've produced thus far is uh, at similarly high grades.
0: So, Adam, I mean, you're talking about in lab conditions um, being able to achieve sort of 90% recovery rates, but you know, pilot plant, commercial, it's going to be different. So, what are these sort of technical risks that you see being able to produce consistently? That's Joe's word, um, at you know, higher rates. Are you going to be able to hit 90?
2: We hope so. The, the, the risk here is not about whether the process works or not, it's in the, uh, uh, the, the fine percentages, whether we can achieve 84, or 86, or 88% recovery. Uh, whether we're plus or minus 5% or 2% on our power consumption, uh, what the residence time is in, in, in the leach vessels, whether it's 90 minutes, whether we can drop that back to 60 or, or sub 60 minutes for residence time, which has a huge knock-on effect uh, on the overall uh, scale of the future plant. If we can optimise the process at this scale, we can have a serious uh, benefit for, for the future engineering of the commercial scale operation. So
0: this isn't this isn't about um, a technical risk. Then you're saying this is a case of just optimizing the commerciality.
2: That's right. Yeah. There's it's, we're all about optimization at this scale, and and that's that's part of the, the driver for doing a pilot scale plant first uh, before we then step up to the demonstration plant. We we really need to make sure that demonstration scale plant works at the most optimal conditions that it can.
0: Okay. Interesting. So um, what are you giving to your partner? What are, they, what are they expecting from you? And what are they doing with it when you send it? when, so when they receive it rather, I should say.
1: Yeah, I, I could probably offer an initial answer. Look, there's 2 scales of plant um, that Adam and his team will be building and operating. The first you see behind you is pilot. Uh, we'll be looking to make up to 150kg of both the intermediate MHP and the final cobalt sulphate. Um, they're purely for sample um, introduction purposes, if you like. Here we are, we're in this uh, quirky Australian town called Broken Hill, uh, which, by the way, is the home of Australian mining, if you haven't heard of it before. And here's a sample that we believe is commercial, and it's so it's cobalt, we think it's a premier product. The second scale of test work, which is the demo plant, I'll let Adam talk to the demonstration scale shortly, we'll be looking to uh, effectively ship up to 100kg of sample per client. The big difference between the two scales is that the larger scale allows us to then pre-qualify on a supplier basis to those particular battery makers. And with that scale also is repeatability. So at the plant here, we'll have to make 10 kilos of MHP and then another 10, another 10, and so on and so forth. And once you've made six or seven of those and they're all identical on the assay and they all meet spec, then your um, uh, qualifications really ain't just begun. Then they start auditing you technically. They start auditing you in terms of your ethical credentials. They'll send people here to make sure it works. They'll send people to the site on the mine. All of that is done typically today before you pre qualify as a supplier. And all that can take 12 and in some cases 18 months.
0: Right. So, why should, why should investors get excited now if it's going to take 12, 18 months? Why should we be looking at you guys?
1: Because that's a simple example of one commercial partnership, if you like, that's the textbook approach. But against the backdrop of significant market deficits, how many of the larger players do you think are going to wait to the 18-month process to make sure that they're, all of their audit uh, samples are, are in order, audit uh, processes in order, before they come and put a foot on some offtake or a foot on the project? It's really about providing enough proof of concept starting today with this plant that will give confidence to project partners to come in and make those investments. I'd put it to you that we're going to get a, a fair bit of interest right here and now with this scale of production, and that will only be built. I don't think, I can't think of too many partners that are going to wait to all of the end of that process, sorry, rather to the end of that process before they start galvanizing some action.
0: Right. And okay. If you don't mind, so what would that short, shorter uh, process look like? I mean, how many samples would they need to see? When do they start sending people down here? Because you're painting a picture of there's not a lot of ethical supply out there. You're one of the top ten projects in the world, top five outside of Africa. Um, surely people should be lining up at the door with you, but what, what have you? what's the shorter process you've got to get through to kind of get them to you know, come visit the plant, for instance?
1: Yeah, so I'd, I'll just preface my answer by saying the world is replete with failed metallurgical processing. So um, there's there's umpteen number of projects globally that have some smidgen of cobalt in their production base that are knocking on the doors of these battery makers. So I'm not surprised that they're cautious I'm not surprised based on, on their history that have invested significant capital and at times have come up short on the processing. What you see behind you is our direct attempt to answer that. What scale of proof do these guys need to get excited about our project? What does that look like? It means them receiving the sample and saying, this is interesting, give us some more. We'll have to see how much additional product we can make, and again, repeatable product. Bear in mind, demonstration scale plant is coming in Q1 next year. We're looking to commission that this year. So once there's sufficient scale, and that could be a handful of samples, we can start to enter into negotiations with partners that preempt success. In other words, preempt a successful demonstration scale, but talk about commercial transactions today. And that's really where we're at today with already a handful of partners in discussion.
0: Adam, have you got... The money you need to build what you want within this pilot plant. Are you going to be able to get it done?
2: Absolutely. With the pilot plant, where uh, we've we've already done it, we've we've got the money required okay. for that and to operate it. Um, the, uh, the 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 purpose of building the pilot plant is it's much better optimised process at this scale. Uh, that just gives us a greater confidence that when we build the demonstration plant, that it'll be. a Closer to a turnkey operation, we can uh, we can build it with confidence. We can operate it. We know what the outcomes will be, and that'll give us the freedom to to concentrate on the other uh, technical and uh, commercial uh, samples that are required. Okay, and with regards to the demo q
0: q one. I mean, it's it's twelve months away, but that's not that far in the sch- in the scheme of things. So, so, what happens here? Is it a modular affair? Is this would you go and build or buy another shed and kit that out? How does it work?
2: It'll be, it'll be a, a kind of an upgrade, an extension to the equipment that we already have installed. Um, the equipment that we've installed at the moment has a relatively low level of automation, uh, quite a good degree of uh, data collection instrumentation in it, but um, it's more designed for, for small uh, batch-wise operations. The demonstration plant will be expanded compared to where we're at currently with, with additional pieces of equipment uh, to allow us to run on a continuous basis, but also at an increased throughput rate. So we'll be able to generate much higher uh, volumes of, of samples uh, in, a, in a relatively short period of time.
0: Okay. And with so just in terms of the, a little bit of finance, if you don't mind, is um, to build that you're going to, going to need to raise a bit more capital, are
1: you? Yeah. So look, we're, we're fully funded through pilot plant, as, as Adam suggested. Right. So that, that's 30 odd partners with sample out there. Um, uh, in terms of what we've got on the balance sheet, we've got about $7 million Aussie dollars on the balance sheet at year end. Um, and we'll be looking to come to the market some stage, Q2, Q3, to get us through demonstration scale plant. But we'll be very opportunistic because I think, uh, A, the self-help here is, is is very strong. The ability then to hopefully convert some of these uh, sample partners into real project partners. But I also think the backdrop, the macro is very strong as well. So in both cases, the trend will be our friend and opportunistically we'll come to the market as needed.
0: Right, okay, but that will be helped if you do have a project partner You're raising capital when you've kind of got a piece of paper, more than an MOU, more than an LOI, something meaningful. So does that give us a clue sense so this sort of speed, that you're talking about with regards to the shorter process?
1: Yeah, c- careful what you wish for, Matt, because if, if we're successful with a partner, it may well eliminate the need for a capital raise. Now, let me be very, very specific because a lot of people watch these interviews. Yes. If we're successful, it may alleviate, if not eliminate, some of the need for future capital raise. And So if you're if you are successful, a project partner can come in and that takes the burden of the capital requirements off you. If you're not successful, by are still in strong discussions, you can then mix that up or rely solely on an, on an ASX or, or equity-style raise. So um, our optionality grows as this pilot plant is, uh, produces and, and, and sample partners are contacted.
0: Okay, but that's, that's a process you're going through Q2, possibly Q3, but at your election at this point until you feel comfortable about the options on the table for financing.
1: Yeah. Look, it, the uh, I've had a, a plentiful discussion internally, and we're just going to be opportunistic as to where we go. I think we've set ourselves up with a very strong tailwind, and one of the things, if I could just add, uh, Matt, is um, we focused a lot on the upscaling of this plant to demonstration scale. But more recently, we've announced to the market a Cobalt in Waste Streams project, which is our ability to do much smaller scale test work in other jurisdictions.
0: Well, the, 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 this one I talked about, because that's a, um, that came out just the end of March, 31st of March, it came out. I did want to talk to you about that one because I, I'm intrigued because you've, you're have you going through a process of proving what you've got at Broken Hill, and then you seem to be talking language, a slightly confident language, I don't know if it's overconfident, of looking at waste streams from other projects. So. What's, what's driving that? You think you've got some sort of USP in terms of your technology, or you've got capacity? I mean, shouldn't you be focused on one thing at a time?
1: Yeah, look, um, I think that's your classic dilemma. Do you uh, do you leverage out your intellectual property, or do you just focus on what you your core needing, which in our case is the, the Broken Hill project? The plant behind us is effectively a, a three million dollar key to unlock. Uh, some of the key processing uh, challenges. Um, but the plant behind us allows us, without distracting from broken Hill, to do smaller-scale test work. In your camera shot, and Adam can point out, do you want to just talk through the, the POX reactors and the fact that there's... You
2: know, uh, sure. The- so I guess to, to circle back to your point, we are kind of focused on uh, that one thing, which is proving the cobalt uh, blue processing technology, and we're looking at alternate feedstocks. The plant is currently configured for the Broken or cobalt Project, which which will take material at at uh, you know the, the, sort of that, that production rate. Um, the heart of the processing technology is this bank of, of water closed pressure oxidation reactors. Uh, for the Greater Project, the Broken or cobalt Project, will utilise all four of those. For the, um, the demonstration plant, will actually expand and extend this train, but. For the smaller scale operations, we can isolate these and we can use them independently of each other. Uh, So we can we can then carry out small small scale testing using the same equipment, using the same process, but proving the 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 robustness of that process and technology as it applies to various feedstocks.
0: So what's the demand out there? I mean, how have you got into this? Did people approach you, or are you just hedging your bets? I mean, how, how does that work?
1: Um, So in in the last three years, we've had three, four partners, uh, two in the local Broken Hill and South Australian area and two up in uh, in Queensland. Uh, Starting with Queensland, that's an area that's mined more cobalt historically than we have in resource by, by a great number. Um, most of their cobalt has been locked in pyrite or pyrite-like structures and has gone straight to tailings or waste dams. So historically, it's been too hard to process. It goes into a waste stream. Our project or our process, I should say, has been tested on two of those particular uh, ore or types and it readily shows recoveries of around 88 89%, very similar to what we've got at a bench level with ours. Because it's already mined, it's already in a waste form, you can take a third of our cash costs away to make a similar product from from a waste stream up there. The other thing to point out is the government in Queensland wants to get rid of those asset forming messes. In fact, there's a number of initiatives uh, at a state level too that will help us go in there and uh, create some test work um, positives. In other words, we're going to go up there, try and grab ourselves 30 or 40 kilos per particular deposit come back down here, on this small scale you see here, we'll run small scale test work. It's all about understanding if the process can be used for that particular style of waste in that particular location. We can comfortably, whilst we're building demonstration plant around it, do the smaller scale test work, or even once demonstration scale is in production, provided that unit of operation is not in use, we can still do that smaller scale. So it's conceivable we'll have multiple small scale we call a bench scale test work in progress for our Cobalt in Waste Trends project, whilst running our demonstration scale proof for the Broken Hill project. We also have other partners in, uh, in South Australia, for example, the Karapatina mine, that's part of the OZ uh, mining stable, OZ Minerals stable, I should say, um, where we've done successful test work to date. And it's conceivable that further test work with that partner may involve a pilot plant scale test work. So we can engage at bench scale, Forty or fifty kilos, pilot scale, fifty to one hundred ton, demonstration scale, two, three, four thousand ton. All of that can be done more or less in parallel with some smart planning from this particular operation.
0: So, so talk to me about the the scale because you've got a few different types of projects you're talking about at state level, and then you've obviously presumably other companies thinking, well, what can I do with these? Are they effectively tailings? Is that what we're dealing with?
1: They're waste streams or tailings. So, in some cases. Uh, Mine is in production, so it's made out so we could take that product live. In in most cases in Queensland, in in Mount Isa and Cloncurry, these are tailings dams, some of which are 100 years old, where they put their pyrite to one side because they just couldn't process it.
0: Right. Okay. So, give me give me a sense of the, the scale of this. I mean, how many of these waste streams, these tailings, are sitting at surface, ready to go? I guess you're not going to be the only show in town, but at least you're at the table.
1: Yeah. Look, um, we've had a a technology bake off, if you like, with a number of other uh, process flow sheets. Um, our process has some positives and also has some negatives, uh, as they all do. But overall, in terms of leaving um, the site with the least acid potential, in other words, we can, we can clean it up, this process does not have any other peer. That's not to say it's bulletproof, but in terms of environmental cleanup, it is a standout optionality. In terms of scale, look, there's thousands of mines, abandoned mines, tenured mines up there, um, out of operation, in operation. Um, what's our process applicability? Look, I don't know, 30%, 20%. It's such a large denominator that even a small applicability represents huge, huge upside. We've done our own internal research and there's 200,000 tonne plus of cobalt locked in tails in Queensland on publicly available data. Now, in the ground here at Broken Hill, I've got 80,000 tonne and on a good day, I can imagine that going to 90 plus. So in Queensland, sitting there no more than 40 or 50 metres below a surface level is double my resource um, awaiting us at uh, two-thirds of our cash cost to produce
0: okay so that's obviously worth going after that we're talking about some very meaningful uh, business there but is that a distraction to you financially in terms of your ability to get this pilot phase uh, finished
1: no actually I think it leverages on the strength so if you think of a project, Under the Jaw code, there are these modifying factor categories of of which off the top of my head is about a dozen, you know, geology, metallurgy, political, environmental, stakeholder, all these different um, feasibility studies which make up your overall FS. This is one part, one of those modifying factors. This is processing. Now, don't get me wrong, this is a really important part, but it's one part. Within this one part, I'm talking about capital that's already been spent. And all we need to do now is run it effectively so we can do multiple pro- projects from this one plant. I'm as excited about the Queensland and South Australia as we are for the for our core project at Broken Hill. But basically it's sunk capital, there's probably one or two operators that'll be hired to create the arms and legs for that small scale test work. We need a geologist at the front end to help us find where these um, deposits and these tail streams are. But the rest of it is is in front of you, and I don't think it's a distraction at all. I think if we can create a second and third arm to the Cobalt Blue business, I think that's a tremendous value add.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess I mean a process like that. You know, you, you've got to go through someone else's process, right? You're testing their stuff, kind of the reversal of what you're doing at the moment with your with your own product. So, it, what is the timeline for something like that? What are the hurdles? You know, what is the bidding and tender process?
1: Okay. Look, uh, it's a good question. So I've, I think let's split opportunity sets in, in waste tailored into One is untenured tenements, in other words, abandoned tenements that are on the government register, and then two, commercial tenements. Um, whether untenured, I think the hurdles to entry are pretty straightforward. We've already had uh, some discussions. I need to be cautious of revealing too much, but some discussions with respect to taking those samples and then running them here and understanding what the upside is The government's view is get rid of the asset-forming mess, and then let's talk about the economics once you can prove up the process. Uh, I think the time to market there is pretty quick because there's really no hurdles and you've got the regulator that's aligned with you. Where it's tenured tenements, um, sure, you've got a commercial negotiation, but imagine the strength that we have when we knock on the door. Hey, we can take this through no cost to yourself, run a sample program at 20 or 30 kilos, come down and have a look at it, come and meet Adam and the technical team to prove up that the process is is alive and kicking. If that proves up, then the first economics prove up. Once those economics prove up, we can then start to have a commercial discussion over what that project would look like. But also picture from our side, we can modulise this approach, uh, divest it to to Queensland. They've got a main gas line there, so energy is relatively plentiful. And then we can work our way from site A to site B to site C, effectively hoovering up these tails dam and producing this product. So I can't give you an answer of what that uh, timeline looks like in those commercial um, discussions, but I can tell you when you're competing against yourself to try and develop these waste streams, it shouldn't be a difficult conversation.
0: Yeah, you, you'd think. So the un- untenured one, I guess, different set of economics from the commercial ones, because you know, the state's concerned about a cleanup exercise. I'm I'm just trying to think of, you know, in terms of your green credentials, I guess this extends those when you're talking about funding for things like a commercial plant.
1: Yep. Yeah, look, um, the timeline, if if a project's in operation and you've got a license to operate, the timeline to produce a feasibility study for that particular opportunity, given that the MET's here and we can turn that around sample base two to three months, bigger base you know it's maybe six months in terms of test work that turnaround's incredibly quick if you try to do that level of test work using laboratory facilities around australia and i'm looking at them as i say um, if you try to do a demonstration scale you, you'd be there for years you probably wouldn't even do it because you couldn't commit labs to that scale of work so our ability to turn that around quick create a feasibility study with real economics and then entering into those conversation that puts us in a pretty strong position
0: I mean, it's, it's interesting. It, 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 and what? I'm sorry, sorry, to go on about it. But I'm just. I was intrigued when I saw this waste streams project uh, announcement because I just wondered what that would mean in terms of your ability to produce, you know, a meaningful volume of of, of a product. I, 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 the cleanup bit, I get. I can understand the benefit of that. But you know, what would that mean to your output numbers? I guess it's this stage, way too early to say. But the the optionality is there.
1: Well, I think the fact that there's twice as much cobalt entails just in that one jurisdiction as we have in resource. Wow. for you to speculate what the upgrade is. Look, I, uh, my vision for this business is that it has multiple assets. The core flagship is what you see in front of you, but the ability to transpose this intellectual property into other jurisdictions is very, very strong. And to put a second <clears throat> and third project underneath our banner with a commonality of IP... I think is a very strong proposition.
0: Things just got very, very interesting, Joe. Um, well, look, um, look. I appreciate the update, and I know you're you're up there, and I think there's a shift change happening in the background. So there's a, there's a little bit of background noise there at times. Um, but I appreciate your time today, and Adam, lovely to meet you, um, and 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 actually see what you have built uh, and are building up there. So um, so thanks for that, and Joe, um, stay in touch. Uh, fascinating, especially a Q2 Q3 decision on. A commercial plant
1: yep perfect thank you uh, thank you Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you again thanks Matt.
0: thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel crux investor plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn we really love getting your feedback so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon